and welcome to Authorise, the podcast where writers speak. My name's Kevin Hillier. I speak to those writers and today another most interesting man for you to meet and a most interesting book for you to uh, have a think about uh, getting in your collection and having a read of. Uh, the author is Robert Desai and the book is called Abracadabra. Not his first book and uh, he's a really interesting man so we'll, uh, we'll have a chat to him shortly. But a reminder about our podcast partners at CSCG and you can uh, contact them as easily as jumping on the website cscg.com.au or giving them a call on double nine seven four eight triple three, and the reason you do that is because you're thinking about what to do with your financial situation, not just uh, between now and Christmas, but uh, further past that into the future. What does your financial future look like? What would you like it to look like? Well, I've got some people who can help you make it look the way you want it to look, and they are the people at CSCG. Terrific people. Double nine seven four eight triple three, or jump on that website CSCG. .com.au. Robert Desai is a, an author, a broadcast with the ABC for many, many years, a translator. He's many, many things, uh, but in this case, he's the author of a book called Abracadabra. And like magic, let's make him appear now and have a chat to him about the book. Well, let me say firstly, uh, and, and you've heard this uh, uh, many times before, congratulations on your new book. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, abracadabra is an interesting title. Where does where does that come from? First up, I know we all know abracadabra is the magic word. Was the is that the reason for the title? Yes, I just felt that each of these pieces, each in its own way, was a kind of performance, and it was meant to entice the reader and perhaps even bamboozle the reader, yeah. as uh, the magician is trying to do with his audience. I know that it's a bit of a cliche to speak of the artist as a magician, but I am trying to, I suppose, cast a spell. I mean, I like to cast a spell particularly of intimacy with me, the writer, yep. or the speaker. It's not true. There is no intimacy in the sense I don't know my readers. I don't know my audience. And so it's a kind of enchantment, I suppose, that I'm trying to read. So that's why I thought, I will give it a magician's name and I will call it Abracadabra. Beautiful. Um, uh, the, the interesting uh, sort of concept here uh, uh, for the book is that the first half of the book is is your talks. Now, your talks, from what I can gather, are written, but they're not designed to be read. They're actually designed to be performed and now you put them into a, a, a way of being read again. So it's, a, it's an interesting kind of circle of life of, of your, uh, your actual content. Yes. Well, it wasn't easy, I can tell you. I mean. I've been asked to give talks at festivals usually, but also sometimes at universities or other places on all sorts of subjects. I mean, there, you know, we've got everything from where babies come from to, uh, I don't know, what else is there really. There is a huge variety of things. Enid Blyton, uh, kissing and hugging. Yeah. Uh, every possible subject, particularly about language, I suppose. But it's always so ephemeral when you give a talk. I mean, I really try very hard when I give a talk. I might spend a month writing a talk that's only going to last 10 minutes, not eight hours a day, but I might spend the best part of a month writing it, honing it, polishing it, and then it's gone, finished. And quite often at the end, people will say to me, can I read that anywhere? I didn't quite catch this or that. And I say, no, 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 it was a talk. It's not meant to be read. But I thought I'll have a go at making these pieces more readable, which meant taking certain words out, putting more inflection into the language, whereas, of course, in person, I can throw my arms around and smile or not smile or go up and down with my voice. So it's really a different exercise. But I spent about six months 
turning these talks into something that is really text, hoping that there is still the sound of a voice there somewhere. Yeah. You, you love of books. I mean, for many years, you, you obviously were a broadcaster on the ABC doing the books, books and writing program. You, you love of books. Did that, did that start for you at an early age, having a book in your hand? Well, I think it starts with your parents and it starts with primary school. I'm one of those people who believes that primary school is the most important part of your education, much more important than high school or university. It's primary school. If you've got a good teacher, if you're in a good class, that really forms you. Gives you some sense of excitement about what you might turn into, about what is possible. And at primary school and at home, in our house, in Lane Cove in Sydney, I was encouraged to read. Children did read in those days. I don't know exactly what they read nowadays, but we read books. And as I say in this book, the big influence on me was Enid Blyton. To this day, it is Enid Blyton, oddly enough, who would not have liked me and with whom I have very little in common, who formed me, formed my narrative way of thinking, I suppose she would say. Ina Blyton said that she knew the secret places that children like to go to. And this is what I suppose I feel has come naturally to me. I have some sense, it's not learned, it's just that, of the secret places my readers would like to go to. But she also taught me the essentials of narrative. She taught me that in a good narrative, you need to run up a faraway tree, you need to have an adventure at the top of the tree, then you need to run down the tree and hurry home in time for tea. That <laughs> is a good narrative. And I still think that is the most exciting kind of narrative in some form or other. And so I go to Egypt, I go to Greece, I go to Italy, I go to Russia in particular, I go to India. I go somewhere at the top of my faraway tree and then I rush home. The end of each book of mine is a going home. I'm not so good on Australia, but I'm quite good on homecoming. I was so say, thank and, you, and, Enid. And, and, you ta- and you take us to all those, uh, many of those places that you mentioned uh, in this collection of, of, of talks and stories, and, uh, and at the end you finish with a, with a short story. Uh, so uh, putting together the way the book flowed, was that a difficult process for you? Was that like? You know, people talk about, you know, uh, who's your favourite child and go, oh, uh, was, that, was that a bit like this, the process for you? Yes, it's more difficult than, than you'd think, really. You have to start out with a strong piece. I know this from radio where I had five items every week. You start off with a strong piece. You have, in second place, another strong piece. You must finish with a very strong piece to leave people with the sense that, wow, that was really worth listening to this week. Your weakest piece is usually the fourth out of the fifth, if you've got five pieces. I don't know whether my second last piece in this book is my weakest, but always you are trying to keep people keen to turn the page. You want them to have a sense of a fuse having been lit, of the need to keep reading, to keep reading. That's not easy to do, really. If you satisfy people too quickly, they put the book aside. So, yes, it took me quite a while to work out the order of pieces. The actual concept of, of putting, uh, you know, your, your talks and uh, and some of your writings that you'd, you'd done previously together in the book, was that uh, the, the thinking behind that, Robert? Was that, uh, I know, and you're saying in, in a couple of things I've read about it where some of these things before have been, have uh, people have seen them, but uh, the audience was very small. You wanted to get into a bigger, bigger kind of um, audience. 
uh, reach? Yes. Well, I mean, you know, a good audience in Australia is, let's say, at a festival, 400 people. You might get 600, you might get 1,000. But a good audience, a really big audience, would be 400 people. Well, there are 25 million in Australia. (laughs) 400 isn't very many. And sometimes I think I've given my most interesting, thoughtful talks to audiences of 60, 70, 100. And that's it, the end. So, yes, it, it, it was a sense of wanting to complete the process, perhaps. I, I'm not sure. I don't write in order to do anything. I don't write in order to change the world or in order to change my readers. I write because that is what I do. Some people are architects, they design houses. Some people play football. Some people fish for crayfish. What I do is use language. And ever since I was a very little boy, and because I'm little, I was indeed a very little boy, I have loved language and playing with it. I think days are to be happy, and I've written a whole book about how days are to be happy. And language makes me happy, not just English, but a couple of others as well. So I sit down and play. That's what I'm doing. I'm playing, and I invite people to come and watch and to eavesdrop on what I say. I'm not there to make the world a better place. That's my approach. I know that some people want to tell a story. I don't want to tell a story. Who wants to hear my story? I'm a very ordinary person. But I think that I'm fun to watch or listen to. The uh, the kind of stage performance of uh, of your works you can hear that when you read it you can feel you it, it does take you to the stage and it does take you to as if you're standing there performing it and losing yourself in in that moment that's that's clearly where the the the, the passion lies for you in this. Oh, good. I'm pleased that that is what has happened because the editor made me take out some of the things I put in like. Um, all you people here today, those sorts of phrases, yeah. or right, right now here in Adelaide. I was forced to take those out. I quite like them in there because I think it gives a sense of occasion. But I'm very pleased that you think there is still a sense of occasion, still a sense of performance, still a sense of the stage. That's great. So when you write, do you, do you, uh, do you write in a grandiose fashion or you're a very circumspect writer? Are you, I mean, we talk about people who talk with their hands. Are you are you in that moment when you're when you're writing your performance? Are you actually performing it at the same time? I'm hearing my voice saying things, yes, and I'm fantasizing about a reaction, I suppose. Yep. But what you've got to do is get into character. One thing working at the ABC taught me is that you need a voice. Now it won't be exactly who you are. The voice in these stories isn't exactly me who lives in this house, in this street, in the suburb of Battery Point. It's, it's a concocted, conflicted person. And so you have to construct it and then you have to perform it. All authors do this, I think. And once I've got a very strong sense, you know, by 10 o'clock in the morning of who this voice is, then the words just come. They, come of their own accord, really. If you're writing a Wikipedia article, you don't need to have a voice, <laughs> do you? I mean, you don't need to have a personality. But the the only charm, really, of my writing, since I don't tell you anything you can't Google, is the sense of sitting next to somebody who's gossiping 
in an interesting way. <laughs> That's the only charm I've got to offer. <laughs> well, it's it's held you in good stead for a long time, Robert. It's held me in good stead for about 25 years. I stopped work about 25 years ago and started writing full-time. I don't write a lot compared to some people. I was going to say, you are, are you prolific or, or do you do you agonise over, over it because it is a performance for you? I'm not prolific. I mean, I suppose it's about every three years that I come out with a book. But I don't agonise. I, I try to set a whole day aside in order to write a page because I'm slow. Some people can just think to themselves, okay, it's 10 o'clock in the morning, I'm going to go and write now until lunchtime, then I'm going to Pilates. I can't do that. I've got to feel I've got unlimited time in order to breathe deeply and discover this voice inside myself. So, But I don't feel anxious about it because, after all, who cares whether I write another word or drop dead now? Nobody cares. This has got to be a pleasure for me, and as a result, I hope it will be a pleasure for other people. But I don't, for a moment, think that anyone deeply cares. What they care about is their own lives. And if I'm giving people words to help frame their own lives, then that's good. And please, after every book I write, a few letters come in, particularly about the book on adoption, for example, my first major book. They write and say, hello, I enjoyed your book. Now let me tell you about me. <laughs> and then they write me five pages about themselves and how they were adopted or not adopted or are gay or not gay, whatever it might be. Yeah. They don't care about me, but they feel that I have given them wings of some kind to fly up and look down on who they are. Well, that's great, but one mustn't mistake that for caring about me, the author. So I don't feel anxious, not really, about my writing when I'm writing. I want to have fun. I wrote yesterday. I wrote for about four hours. I didn't write much. I wrote about three paragraphs. But it was joyful. It made me feel doubly alive. So that's wonderful. It's a privilege, particularly given how doom-laden the times are. <laughs> so when you have Abracadabra, the book, in your, in your hand and you're looking at it and you're going, you know, that's, I, I did this, how does that, what's the sense of satisfaction there? It's funny you should ask that. Nobody's ever actually asked me that. I, suppose, I don't feel proud. I feel... No, I don't feel proud. I feel uh, immensely fortunate, I suppose. I feel smiled upon by the cosmos that this, that it turned out like this, that I have this life where I can talk about the things that are important to me uh, and that I've been allowed to do this because I'm a slightly odd person, I suppose, from the point of view of the average Australian male, let's say, I've been allowed to do this. It hasn't caused offence. It's brought people pleasure. I look at the book. I look at this latest book there. I am smiling on the front cover and it says Abracadabra. Yeah. I've said it before. I'll say it again. And yes, I feel, well, my mother would have said, coming from a more religious era, I feel blessed. Yeah. 
It's also, I mean, you, because of, of, of what you've got, the content you've got in this book and, and previous books as well, there's, you're opening, you're putting yourself out there and that that's a very brave thing to do in many ways, particularly in the uh, the keyboard warrior world that we live in now. Why do you say that? Why do you think it takes courage? Other people have said that. Why do you think it takes courage? Because you put yourself out there and the minute you put yourself out there, people will, will uh, uh, grab a number and take and, and form a queue uh, to tell you uh, how little they think of you and uh, and how uh, uninteresting or whatever that you actually are. <laughs> well, I'm not on Facebook or Instagram or any of those things. I have no social media whatsoever. So it's very difficult to write and tell me that. One woman did get my address and write to tell me she'd ask the Virgin Mary to curse me. But that's about oh, the only really me. negative letter that I've ever had. People write and say, I disagree with you about this or I disagree with you about that. But I haven't had abusive mail apart from that one letter calling on the Virgin Mary. So I feel that there's something about the way that I say what I say that allows people to think, well, he thinks like that but he is not trying to stop me thinking the way I think. Yeah. I mean, the other night in Sydney at the town hall, it was a big event, there were 800 people there, and uh, I said that I do not agree with gay marriage. Well, it was that sort of, you know, Wallara, Kalara, Chatswood audience, mm. uh, Balmain and so on, that no doubt thinks gay marriage is a very good thing indeed. Nobody cared, everyone was happy, everyone laughed, everybody clapped. You've got to know how to say it, really. And there's a whole essay in this book about how I don't think gay marriage is a good idea. Yeah. I don't expect any abusive uh, male. I usually say something fairly rude about mm, religion, not rude exactly, but critical of religious belief. Nobody ever says a thing. Uh, I don't think anyone feels that I'm trying to shut them up. That's what people don't like. They don't like feeling that an author or anyone really in society is trying to shut them up. Yes. And I don't try to shut anyone up. Um, I mean, I don't happen to agree with the Pope about anything at all, really. But if the Pope thinks in a certain way, he should feel free to say so. It doesn't bother me in the slightest. Yeah. You're, so, pro you're probably more likely in this country to cop more flack uh, for, your, for the fact that you're, you're openly not interested in food or sport. Yes, well, that's right. But oddly enough, even though I'm very rude about cricket and, and particularly rude about football, golf, for example, pasta, that's one of the things that I have got criticism over. I do say that I don't like pasta. I can't see why anyone else would. It's flour and water. Why would you want to eat it? <laughs> that's the sort of thing people write me notes about. But I don't think that I make people angry, Kevin. Yeah. I don't think so because I'm not trying to force my view on anyone. I'm gossiping over the back fence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's 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 nothing intimidating about uh, about the way you present your case for whatever it is. I'm trying to amuse as much as anything. Yeah. I know that everyone's going to keep on eating pasta and going to the football. I, <laughs> I know that it's a lost cause. <laughs> I'm not going to win this one. Now, I do, have a, just, I, I do have a sport question for you, though, that you have to answer yes. for me. Yes. What's the, fascin what's the one part of pole vaulting that you actually are interested in? The legs. Ah. I like legs, you see. Always have liked legs. I started liking, liking legs when I was very small. I remember walking to primary school and pole vaulting 
displays legs magnificently. You've got good <laughs> So I like it. In so many different ways because there's the running up at the start, there's the the when the pole goes in the ground and they're up in the air and then there's it's almost like the circle of life of legs, isn't it, really? <laughs> That's right. Oh, you're making me want to go and Google pole vaulting <laughs> to see what I can find. Uh, look, congratulations uh, on this fascinating uh, selection of stories and talks and uh, and the short story at the end. It's a, it's a really interesting read, Robert. You've done exceptionally well. Thank you so much for, uh, for spending some time with me and having a chat about uh, Abracadabra. Oh, you're very generous. Thank you, Kevin. I've enjoyed it. Well, thanks to Robert for his time, and I recommend that you have a look at uh, Abracadabra. It's a, a very interesting read. It's different. It's very interesting and fascinating and full of some great stories. So congratulations to Robert, and uh, thank you uh, very much for spending some time with us on the Authorised Podcast, which, of course, is uh, proudly supported by CSCG, who will look after you and help you uh, guide you through the financial plan, the financial strategy, the financial ups and downs of of, of just uh, everyday living. They can help you with all of that and uh, help you secure your future. Double nine seven four eight triple three. that's their number. Jump on the website and have a look, cscg.com.au. Hope you've enjoyed this episode of Authorised. Where you found this one, there's plenty more authors of all different descriptions, all different uh, genres of books that we've spoken to over the course of this uh, podcast series and plenty more to come too, I can tell you, and some absolute beauties. Hope you enjoyed today. Uh, I'll talk to you again very soon. Until then, uh, read a book. You never know. It might be the author that will be popping up on Authorised. Authorised.